Come on, let's clap for Jesus. It's good to be in his house. 11 o'clock, how are we doing today? We doing all right? Yeah. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We are very glad that you're with us today. And uh, those joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're grateful that you're with us today. And of course, our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love. Clap for them. <laughs> grateful for you, ma'am. Well, hey, um, are you enjoying all this rain? If you, how many of you are doing a garden? Or how many of you are like garden people, like proud to live in, in the garden state? Some of you didn't even know Jersey's called the Garden State. We have to inform everyone in North Jersey that. But um, we, we started to do a garden and, um, a few years ago, and it's humbling, isn't it? Um, it's like, hey, we're going to do a garden, and everything dies. And then you're like, we're not going to do a garden. And um, we, we did a garden this year, and I'm learning what to do and what not to do. My father makes it easy, makes it look easy, and... And uh, so I planted some stuff, and my son, was he walked up to the garden the other day and looks at it, and he kind of just puts his hands on his hip. He's three. And he says, uh, Dad, they're dead. <laughs> and I said, I know, son, I know. And he's like, you killed them. <laughs> and, and like, what are you going to you going to argue with them? You're like, okay, yeah, I killed them. I killed them. We're going to. So then he goes, run inside. You know, everything's dead. Not everything's dead. Just the, I don't know what they were, cucumbers or something. They're dead. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll figure it out. But um, I'm enjoying life in this season and our, our, our family. Whenever you add to a family, how many know there's new tensions involved in it? And all of it um, is a refinement process. Even as God builds the church, um, our, our immediate family is growing. Our, our larger family and, our, and the Eisenhower family continues to grow and the True North family continues to grow. And with all the growth, I see the hand of God in all of it and the blessing of God. But if you're not careful, um, you will despise the blessing and see only the tension that can be seen in it and not the goodness of God in it. And so I just encourage you to make sure that you can focus on every good and perfect gift that has come from above um, in your life. Be grateful for it. Be thankful for it. Be aware of what comes from your mouth on a daily basis. Make sure that if someone were to record you um, privately, that's frightening for some of you, isn't it? It's frightening for me is, is this idea that I want my words to be honoring and pleasing to God. I want him to hear me. I, it doesn't mean we're void of frustration and trial, but to hear um, words of thanksgiving and gratitude on my heart and from my mouth. Can you say amen? And let that just be of something that we strive to do in our journey with the Lord. Today, um, as we continue in the series, we started talking about the areas of mental health. Last week, we talked about politics. That was fun, wasn't it? And, um, and so today, we're talking about the third um, uh, list of questions that has to do with marriage, gender, and sexuality. Well, that's this response I expected to, to get from you. Um, they don't know what to say. Just like, oh no. And uh, I'm excited to share this with you because the one thing about God's word, and I, I want to begin by saying this, I think there's multiple approaches when people talk about it in culture today. And, and, and I say this to you because I don't want you to get caught in them. There's the self-righteous approach. And then maybe I guess I could call it the self-condemned approach. Or, and, and I think if you boil them down, the self-righteous approach can be seen as more of an arrogant at times. It's hard to see the grace of God in the presentation of it. What they're saying is not wrong, but the way that they're delivering it is not Christ-like. 
it's, it's almost demeaning to people in the way that they present it. And then the other side, maybe the side of um, the condemned side or self-condemnation, I would say, it might be boiled down to this presentation of they want to empathize with the lost and broken world so much that they apologize for the very word that has redeemed them and set them free. And my, listen to me, family, don't fall in either one of those, in either one of those areas. Recognize that the authority of God's word has brought not only redemption and healing and salvation and freedom and life and joy to you, that you should live a life with that purpose in mind to say, I want to bring that to someone else. How many of you know that these conversations are filled with um, landmines? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, hey, I'd love to talk to them, but it just won't go good. If I, be, if I bring that topic up about marriage or gender or sexuality or transgenderism or anything along those lines in my family, it is literally a ticking time bomb. It will just end horrible. And I want you to know, if you step back for just a moment and you recognize that, that we live in a lost and a fallen and a broken world and that God has devised a plan to redeem that which has been distorted by sin. All of God's creation is perfect and right. There's no mistakes in the way that God has created humanity. He actually said it is good. It's good. But in the, the byproduct of sin, as it corrupts everything that is good and perfect and holy from God, we recognize that things are not perfect in the world we live in. And so what do we do as people who have been redeemed, no longer in the world and operating of the world, though we are in the world, we're not of the world. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Why? Because of what we've done? No, because of the redemptive plan of God in sending Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to go to a cross, to bleed on the cross, to buy us and give us eternal salvation, right? And we recognize that in Christ, in Christ Jesus. You should clap a little bit more about that. That's a pretty significant thing in our journey. When Christ does that, you have to recognize the power in the testimony of what truth and, and, and hope and, and eternal salvation brings to a lost world. How convenient that we have an adversary that says, don't tell people about the hope in Jesus. Don't tell people about the way of righteousness and the way of holiness. They might get frustrated. I want you to picture the scenario of people who are literally bound. Picture people in a prison. Real bondage, real slavery, no way out, and you have the key. And you casually walk by them every day and watch them in it, never once ever throwing to them the key of salvation, which is found in the name of Jesus. And listen to me, does it require tact? Does it require sensitivity? Does it require due diligence in prayer, in hearing the word of, uh, and the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But never once does the word of God encourage us because it's difficult to proclaim truth to therefore be silent and not say anything. So many people in, in um, I love, I've said this to you family many times, I, I love to invite people to our church and it's so much easier um, if they don't know I'm the pastor of the church and I just invite them out to the church. But I get a lot of questions um, in the realm of marriage, gender, sexuality. And, and by the way, this has happened over the last 10, 12 years, easy um, for us as leadership in the church. We've addressed these, these issues um, 
from the very beginning, really. But these issues are not new to our society. They've been going on since the beginning of time. I always refer to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Jesus is quoting Genesis chapter 2, but this is the words of Jesus. He says, haven't you read? Don't you know, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God created man in the, in the image, and we'll read that further in Genesis. Let's make man in our image, as we read in Genesis. God created both man and woman. He created sex within the confines of marriage between one man, born a man, one woman, born a woman, and that is the design nature of our creator and our God. Now, for many of us, when we hear things like that in our society today, you can determine how much the world has infiltrated, infiltrated your heart when you hear me say those words. For many of us, you, you, you have a sensitivity, and I recognize that. One of the greatest challenges I have is, is recognizing the fact that I'm having a private conversation in, the, in public. Have you ever tried to talk to someone about your in-laws? before they meet them, maybe, or a friend or a family member, and you're trying to just say, hey, you know what? This is their personality. This is what they're like. And, and you would never do that in front of them because you, it's just disrespectful and it's dishonoring. Well, my, my family, every single Sunday, there are people who are far from God amongst us in our gatherings, lost and broken and hopeless and hurting in, in their life, looking for an answer. And so as I talk to you today, I don't do so flippantly. I don't do so without the awareness that some of you here today are not honoring God. I get asked this question a lot. I get asked the question when I invite people to church and they look at me and they say, can I ask you this about True North Church? What is the stance of True North Church? And they'll say things like this, is True North affirming of my lifestyle or alternate lifestyles? Have you ever been asked this question before? And what they're asking is, 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 is much deeper and much more complex than what it appears to be. I'll call it what it is. It's a trick question. But I jump full into it because I believe that that's just the way I'm wired. I don't like to get too intellectual in the in the. In, in the questioning, if they say, hey, does True North accept or affirm my lifestyle? I say, absolutely. And they kind of get startled a little bit by my quick response. And I see they kind of like look, because it's almost as if they've already determined their answer before I, they even ask the question. And so when they ask the question, I give them an answer that they weren't expecting, and then they're a little bit confused. <laughs> and they say, well, so, okay. And then I say back to him this question. I say, I just have one follow-up for you. Um, what do you mean by affirm? Could you define that for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like um, accept, condone, uh, approve. And, and I said, oh, I, 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 I thought you meant affirm as do we love 
do we welcome? Do we permit anyone in the house of God here at True North Church? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. You could be a Muslim, an atheist, an agnostic. You could come into church today with all of these questions, all this baggage, with belief systems that are contrary to the word of God, and you are welcome to peacefully assemble as we worship and are refined through the teaching of God's word. Always in this house. Uh. Now everyone's waiting for what I say next. (laughs) There are no alternative lifestyles in the kingdom of heaven. There's one path of righteousness. I think this is what's so perplexing by it was when people try to take the authority of God and they try to subvert it and then make their own authority. There's one authority. And we sang about it that at one at one point, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. This is what I love about God. See, when we talk about issues within society, I recognize that there's a broader context of which I talk about, maybe a theological one. And then there's the relationships that you have present in your world, whether they're your children, your aunts, your family members, your parents, whatever. And you're trying to contextualize what I say based on the relationships you have with other people. But then at the same time, you're trying to discern in your own life, how do you justify some of the behaviors you're currently walking in? I was at Lowe's yesterday or two days ago with my children. It's a circus every time I do it. And I was almost through the whole store before I saw someone in in True North family. And I was like, this is fantastic. I'm heading to the finish line. And I saw one of you there and it was great to see you. And it was it was nice, you know, to learn more names of our family. Um, But I just I have no control of my children in public. I'm doing the best that I can. They were fully clothed and they were like, you know, that was good. But they were like beating each other with tools. I don't even know where they got them. And had stuff shoved in their pockets. Like it was just, it was, it was a rough, rough thing. But I, I, I realized when we got to the checkout, um, you know how they always put that candy there to torture parents? <laughs> I never realized it was a parental ta- torture tactic for parents. But um, so the kids are there and they're holding up like these five pound bags of uh, fishies. Let's get these. I'm thinking, first of all, who buys a five-pound, don't answer if you do, five-pound bag of fishies from Lowe's, whatever. You're in control of your own destiny, okay? And, and so they're looking at me, and they're like, you know, I want this. And, and I'm, I'm their authority. I'm their parent. And I say, no. Now, imagine if the person behind the, the counter checking out, checking us out says, yeah, sure, you can. I'd be like, excuse me? we're going to fight, you know, (laughs) I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying, can you imagine if let's just say, for example, that person's voice is representative of society and they present an alternate approval of the biblical defined authority over someone's desires that they have. If someone told me at the age of 15, that I could do anything in the realm of sexuality with no consequences and nothing was off, off the table. Just explore whatever you want. I mean, and when I was at a certain age, I'd be like, you're my best friend. <laughs> I, I love the, I don't even know this person's name, but I love this person, you know. Unknowing 
unknowingly not recognizing that my ignorance would not lead me to greater fulfillment and life, but pull me from it. And so some of us, when we talk about these topics, we don't recognize that, yes, there are real desires that people have that are contrary to the authority of God. But tell me one person in this room that does not have a desire, maybe every day or every week, that is contrary to the authority of God. The way that we treat our spouses, the way that we treat one another, the way that we pray for those who persecute us and who, who treat us poorly. Realms of temptation and issues of sexuality are not refined to just certain realms of, of sexuality. They permit inhumanity. And so how do we carry this? We carry this looking at authority in a high view, recognizing that it alone leads us to life. Period. Hard stop. Now, what you do with that is up to you. And some of you are trying to entertain. And this is, this is the frightening thing for me. And I, I don't say this in a demeaning way because I myself am guilty of this. But when I was younger, in my eight, 18, 19, 20-year-old self, I, I would literally weigh, you know, how can I have fun but then honor God? And at no point in those conversations did I ever think I could have fun honoring God. Because in my idea, in my, in my reality that I've formed, in my worldview, the society had told me fun is on this side, God is on this side. But the truth is fulfillment, fun, joy, purpose, meaning, abundance, all of that is found on one road which Christ provides for us. And it's entrusting him. But this is the fascinating thing about God. How do you force people down a road of life? You don't. You walk in it yourself. And some of you, the reason people aren't following you is because you don't look like you're enjoying it. <laughs> you need to come to church and walk in life. It's like, oh my gosh, you have an aneurysm. Like, what is wrong? And I remember growing up in church like that where people were at the door like, hey, welcome to church. Like, oh my gosh. I don't want to come back here, you know? Life is hard. Life is challenging. There's so many things that pull us apart and so many things that can divide us. But what you need to recognize is the authority of God's not only recognizing the authority, but understanding that there are a multitude of paths that the world presents. But really, if you boil it down, there's only two. To walk in the way that God permits or walk in the way that you choose. My heart today is not to read every single verse in the Bible about sexuality, sexual immorality, marriage, gender. It's not my heart. I believe that many of you here today know what the Bible says. And if you don't, I'll say it again. The Bible says that marriage is between one man, born a man, one woman, born a woman, sex is confined within the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. And that is God's divine creation over humanity. Now, every one of us in this room could say, well, I might agree with that, but pastor, what's your opinion on premarital sex and certain things? And I've been asked every question under the sun, especially when you like talk about issues of sexuality with like high school students. It's like, hey, is this considered 
inappropriate, you know. Like, oh my gosh, are you asking me that? <laughs> my opinion on the subject is really irrelevant. And I don't say that to sidestep the truth of the matter. But just like you, I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Christ, the Bible says, has not only justified me in the eyes of God, it has washed me clean. I am not the same as I once was. So who would I be to stand before you today to tell you, well, hey, you must do this and you must do that. And if you don't do this, no, I've recognized that God has permitted all of us to live in this world with a free will, to trust in the ways of God or to serve ourselves. But the scriptures teach that God will not be mocked. God will not be tricked. God will not be fooled. God sees all, hears all, witnesses all. A man shall reap what he sows. So you can't hide from God. You can't outrun God. You may have tricked everyone in this building, but you can't trick God. And for all of us, we need to recognize when I talk to you about having a fear of God versus a fear of man, I don't mean like in the eyes of everyone watching. I mean when everyone is watching, the convictions in your heart, what, what pushes you to make that final decision? Is it the will of God or is it the will and the desires that you have in yourself? And no one can answer that question but you. So how do we, knowing what the scripture teaches us, present the word of God to a lost and broken world in a way that seems authentic, loving, caring, without being absolutely demolished and being called intolerant, a bigot, old school, no idea, irrelevant, don't know what you're talking about. Well, my friend, I, I want to give you some encouraging words that the Bible already teaches us. Jesus says that in this world, you'll have trouble. He says, take heart for I've overcome the world. And I believe when he says you're going to have trouble, I believe it's in the realm of evangelizing to the lost and the broken world that he's placed us in. Now, not everyone's going to welcome you with arms open wide. They're not going to celebrate you. But if you present the keys to eternal life, if you present Jesus Christ to someone who is hopeless and hurting in a way that empathizes and recognizes that, no, we too needed to be redeemed at some point, then my friend, I'm telling you, you're giving them the truth that will ultimately set them free. I've had so many people say to me, they say, well, Pastor, I just, I, I know they feel this way and, and I want to empathize with them and I want them to, to if you want to help somebody, give them life. Give them life. And life comes from the word of God. And this is another conviction that all of us must resolve in our worldview and through our biblical worldview is we must recognize that this, the word of God is not just another opinion equivalent to MSNBC or Fox News or CNN. It's not another opinion written by some mere man here on earth. It is the divine word of God. And somehow God had the ability to take his might, his divinity, his sovereignty inspire man and write through the fallibility of man and the brokenness of man to produce an infallible, inerrant word of God that provides truth and life to all of us. How has that happened? I mean, I, I, I cannot fully comprehend it all, but I do know that where there is truth, there is life. And, and you can see the evidence of it in society. I don't want you to feel discouraged in the world that we live in. Anytime the world begins to get dark, I believe the, the, the truth and the light of the church will shine brighter. 
But some of you entertain walking on this strange line that doesn't exist in the Bible. You entertain these ideals that seem to suggest that there is wiggle room in these realms of marriage and gender and sexuality. And I want you to know this. I want you to hear me sincerely from my heart. You do not love them as much as God. You don't love them like God loves them. A matter of fact, I say it this way. You do not have the capacity to love them the way that God loves them. You love and have the capacity to love because God first loved us. And through the love we receive from God, he enables us and compels us to love, for, love other people. But recognize what ultimately set you free. I think some of us forget that that which set us free from the bondage of sin and the slavery that we are bound to in sin was the keys of heaven that came from Jesus Christ. And if you recognize that and, and are aware of it on a constant basis, that Jesus Christ sets you free, you'll constantly present that to people who need it. What do you do when you try to present Jesus to people or a solution to people who don't even think they have a problem? <laughs> you keep praying. You might think that prayer is insignificant, but that's according to your perspective. <laughs> the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective, and therefore I believe in the power of prayer. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a figure in scripture. I remember singing songs and learning the story of Zacchaeus growing up, but he manipulated people. He stole and robbed and deceived people. Jesus met him where he was in the perspectives people had him of society. And ultimately, the grace that Jesus extended to him would lead him to the position to receive truth. And then ultimately, he decided to walk in it and repay all the debts and all that he stole from others. Not only that, we read in the New Testament that Jesus addressed the woman at the well who had multiple, multiple husbands, and Jesus should have never even engaged in conversation with this woman. It was not appropriate for him to even entertain a conversation with this woman in the realm of the society in which he lived, but he did anyway. He broke that barrier of society and says, I will talk to you. I will demonstrate respect and honor and love towards you, but then he led her to a place of truth so that she could actually be healed and walk in freedom. When Jesus encounters the woman caught in adultery, the woman is brought before Jesus and thrown to the ground. He's, she's brought to Jesus by religious leaders who say we, she was caught in the act of adultery. So they recognize that the sexual sin that she had committed was not only witnessed by others, but she was caught in it. Therefore, she was brought before Jesus all in this attempt to trap Jesus on what to do. And they throw the woman before Jesus. And they said, according to the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned. Scripture teaches us that each one of them had a massive stone in their hand. I want you, and not, not to be overdramatic in the presentation of it, but I want you to picture what their intentions were holding boulders in their hands. Like, this is what they felt compelled to do. Like, uh, well, listen, you've done something wrong. You must pay. And so Jesus, it says in the scriptures, he knelt kneels down and he begins to draw in the sand. And the scriptures say that Jesus then says, those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And the crazy thing about it, it says the older first and then the younger, the older you get, the more aware of you are of your own brokenness, amen? 
And, and they start dropping the stones one by one, walking away. And Jesus says to the woman, who is here to condemn you? And she says, no one. He goes, therefore, I do not. The truth is the only one that could condemn her was Jesus, and he chose not to. But then you can't leave out the last. He says to the woman, therefore, leave your life of sin. Don't stay where you are. Be changed. Someone said to me one time, I, I want to come to your church. I just feel like um, you're going to want me to change. <laughs> and I said to them, well, what do you mean by that? They said, I, I feel like you're going to want me to, to be someone I'm not. I said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, we actually believe that all of us are one way. And then when we meet Jesus and surrender our lives to follow Jesus, he actually does something quite fascinating. He changes us completely from the inside out. Yes. It's not through man. It's not through rules. It's not through religion. I can't welcome people to church and take my Bible and smack them in the face and now they're saved. I can't put them through a course and say, hey, go through all these classes. And if you do it, no, why? Because it's a condition of your heart. You need to recognize that God actually loves you. You're like, oh, I don't believe in religion. Good, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about Jesus who came from heaven to earth to call you out of your sin. That's what he was sent to do. And in doing so, he provides a way for you to walk and a way for you to live. Now, for many of us, this idea of changing you're confronted with it on a daily basis. I would call it with you a process of sanctification or refinement. Every one of us are on that journey. And many times, some of us are like, well, I'll choose myself on that one. I'll choose God on this one. I'll choose myself on that one. I'll choose God on this one. We do that. That's the process. And the longer you're running and seeking after Jesus, the more the process will be refined in such a way that you stop saying me and you start saying Christ. But it doesn't happen by accident. For many of you, and this is a powerful tool, I would say, to discern where you are. When I was younger in church, I remember sitting, and I've always said this on Sundays, I used to sit in the back, and I always tell people that comfy seats are in the back, which isn't true in our church, they're plastic seats, and uh, the, the comfy ones are in the front. But I remember I'd sit in the back, and, and I would constantly try to figure out um, not only how to present one thing, but really walk in another way. But I was constantly torn in this, in this idea of thinking that my ways would be more fulfilling than God's ways. And slowly but surely, I recognize that if I wasn't pursuing God, my life wouldn't reflect him. And I couldn't, I couldn't come to church and sit in the back and just hear the word of God, and it changed me. Because that's what James says in James 1, verses 20, 22. He says, do not deceive yourselves into merely being hearers of the word, but do what it says. Well, I was convincing myself that all I need to do is hear it. It's not true. You need to walk in it. Why? Because the truth is that if you believe it and trust it, you're going to walk in it. And the walking in it carries with it the blessing of God. There's something supernatural in it. I would sit in the back and every time the pastor would say something that I was violating, it, 
I don't know how to describe it. It made me mad, but then made me want to like say, oh, you know, I'd sit in the back and be like, oh, that's crap. You know, <laughs> oh, I don't believe that. You know? I get angry at whoever said it, you know. And now I recognize in my journey of where I am with God, that was the area in my life I was unwilling to surrender. It was it. It was like, you know, if it talked about money, issues with honor, respect, sexuality, certain things that in seasons of your life, you will have a greater temptation to say to God, hey, I appreciate your guidance on this one. I'm going to go my own way. God won't force you to surrender to him. But he keeps presenting it saying there's a better way. There's a better way. Paul writes constantly in the scriptures about how to live and how to honor God. If you were to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, as a believer in Christ, you'll recognize that there is so much instruction in the first chapter of the Bible. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Years ago, no one needed to tell me this, but I started to just observe how everything that God declares in Genesis, the world says is a problem. God says, be fruitful and multiply and increase. And you can turn on any news stations and see that the world is overpopulated. There's too many people. Stop having kids. <laughs> and even in the realm of gender and marriage and sexuality, everything that God establishes to lead people to a life of abundance and purpose and meaning and fulfillment is we're presented with a contrary road. And not only are you presented with a contrary road, you're told that the road you're walking on provides you your identity. So if you step off that road, you'll lose your identity. But Christ never once tells us that our identity is rooted in our sexuality, in our feelings, in our fleshly desires, in our passion. He says our identity is solely, our identity solely resides in the one who created us, who formed us and made us. And that is God himself. We're sons and daughters of him. Those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ. Paul would write to, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to what the word says. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to what Paul says. And that is what some of you were. Were. Not are. It's what you used to be. It's not who you are today. But you were washed, he says. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying you were once lost and broken, but God washed you. He cleansed you. He sanctified you. To be sanctified literally means this. It means that you were set apart for the very purpose and intention that the designer of you had. 
And that's why when the scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the scripture says that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. You, don't, you might not believe that if it came from some random person, but what if it came from the very voice that formed you in the womb of your mother? The word of God, the authority of God, and that's his plan and promise over your life, to believe that and to walk in it. I remember being in seasons in my life, trying to manipulate the definition and understanding of grace. I remember I heard someone say one time that grace is inexhaustible. And from my understanding, I always heard grace in my adolescent years as a get out of jail free card. You could just do whatever you want. And then you just come back and say, I'm covered by the grace of God. <laughs> but then you start to recognize that you are not free from the consequences of your choices that God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. God allows you the freedom and the autonomy to make decisions, but he desperately wants you to trust in his ways and to walk in them. Titus chapter 2, 11 teaches us what grace really comes to do in our lives. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Ephesians 2, 8, it says that we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. By grace through faith. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. Do you know grace teaches you? The more you walk in it, understand it, it teaches you. To do what? To say no to ungodliness and the worldly passions that you and I have and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's what grace produces. So when someone says, I'm walking in grace, you can assume that they're saying, I'm learning how to say no to ungodliness. I'm learning how to say no to the things of the world and live a self-controlled, upright life so when people see me, they don't see me, they see Jesus Christ. That's what grace does. It teaches us what to do. Paul would continue in Corinthians and he writes this, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. The scriptures say, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you and I were purchased. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God in such a way. Temptations are real. Feelings are real. I always say that feelings are great servants, but they're horrible masters. God never told you to follow your feelings. He said, follow my son, Jesus Christ, who leads you to, to freedom and to fulfillment and purpose. And for many of us, we're frustrated with this. We're overwhelmed because our feelings and desires are so contrary to God's word. But I want you to know that when you walk in God's word, it'll bring a fulfillment and a peace to you that you've never experienced before. It'll bring a fulfillment and a peace that you've never experienced. When Paul writes in Colossians 3, 2, and teaches us to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things, he's telling us to concentrate our concerns on eternal things, not on temporary things. To be mindful that one day I'll stand in the presence of God. My body will be fully re redeemed and made well. My mind won't think the way that it thinks now. I won't have the temptations of sin that I, that I have now when I stand in the presence of God. 
There will be no more death, no more crying, no more brokenness, no more pain, no more hurting. I'll be in the presence made whole with my father who formed me and knows me and loves me. The Bible says, think on those things. Dwell upon those things. Your life and my life, the scripture says, are like a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Don't be overwhelmed by what the world does around you and focus in, and fixating on all the things that, is bro- that are broken in the world. But fix your eyes on Jesus. Concentrate your concerns on eternal things. Before we go today, I want to read to you this final portion of scripture found in Romans chapter 1. And I want to read it to you, family, because I, I, I don't have the ability or the permission to presume that you even know what the Word of God says in these things. But the Word of God leads us to life. And in order to lead us to life, I always look at the Word of God. It is your, your GPS that tells you where every pothole is in the road of life. It tells you where to turn, when to turn, what to avoid. Now, you don't have to listen. You can drive on the bumpy road. You can hit every pothole in the road. That's your choice. But the Bible will steer you clear of a lot of mistakes in your life if you'll trust it and walk in it. Paul would write in Romans 1.21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul's talking specifically around sexual immorality or the topic of sexuality, but I believe that statement could be true for any area of our life. For many of us, we could say that I know God, but, but you're not glorifying him and you're not giving thanks to him for who he is and where he's leading you. You're celebrating the very things that he's led you away from. Paul continues and he says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul saying, you're not even worshiping the true God. You're, you're worshiping things that are made by man. And some of you are like, whoa, I don't have a, I don't have a, wooden bird in my front yard. I'm not worshiping some random thing. No, but to worship means to give the highest priority, your first and greatest attention of your life. It might not be a physical statue, but there could be areas in your life that you worship before you you give the true worship to Jesus. It says, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We see this in our society today. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed for lust with one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, so that they do what ought not to be done. My family, God provides us so much light in the realm of sexuality, in the realm of marriage, but I just wonder if we really want to know what God says. Do we really trust his word? Do we we really walk in it? I want to encourage you that you can place all of your hope and your trust in Jesus. It doesn't alleviate the difficult conversations that you might have with family. It doesn't alleviate the challenges that we have walking and living in this fallen, broken world. But keep the convictions of God's word close to your heart. 
Guard your heart. I know everyone in here who might be torn in conversations with people in your family or close friends. You're like, I don't know how to approach it. I, I'm struggling to figure out the way and the tactic in which I do. Listen to me. Don't compromise the word of God, but walk in grace and the love of Jesus. Walk in love and grace. I want to pray for you before we go today. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Choosing to follow Jesus means leaving your old life behind. It means saying to yourself, I, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. Now, some of you would never choose Jesus if you don't recognize that your sin is leading you somewhere. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. It teaches us that none are righteous, not, not even one. That all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person within the sound of my voice who can stand before God and say, I'm sinless and I'm perfect. But that, that sin in our lives has a wage to it. It means this, it has a penalty. And that wage and that debt on your head means that you have to give your life. The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so when you hear the story of God's redemptive plan, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. My friend, God did not send Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to stand before you in your life and condemn you. He sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to save you. And you might say, to save me from what? I'm following my own passions and desires, but my friend, that will not lead you to eternal salvation. That will lead you to eternal separation from God. But Jesus loves you, the Bible says, but God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ gave of himself for us while we were still living in sin. You might be here today or joining us online and, you, and you're saying, I want a new life in Jesus. I want to place my hope and trust in Jesus. I recognize I can't save myself. Paul would write in Romans 10, 9 that if you and I would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I want to pray for you before you go today. You might be here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. We're going to say a prayer. But my friend, the power in the, of the prayer is in the confession of your words and the belief in Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that when you do that, the Bible says you're a new creation. Your spirit is alive in Christ. Your sin is as far as the east is from the, from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us, it says in the Psalms. Will you pray with me? True North, help me lead people to Jesus right now. Repeat this prayer out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin in the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. True North, come on, clap for everybody that said that. Come on, really encourage them this morning. Come on, family, stand to your feet with me before we go. If you said yes to Jesus this morning or joining us online, we have a gift we'd love to bless you with. If you're here today, as you exit, you're going to see members in the lobby, team members waving this Bible. It's a gift from us to you. We want to encourage you in your journey with Jesus and the decision you just made to surrender your life to Christ. And for everyone else, um, I want you to know that if you have questions you want to talk further about what we even 
explored today, that we have an amazing team that are willing to meet you where you are, talk with you, pray with you, encourage you, resource you. We'll do everything we can to help you in your journey with Jesus. So before you go, could you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Father, help us today to trust in your word. Help us to walk in it. Help us not to be merely hearers of your word, but help us to be doers of your word. Father God, I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would divinely and supernaturally speak to those who are present here today who are going to attempt to have conversations that they've forfeited in the past. God, would you fill them with your grace, fill them with your truth, fill them with your compassion, fill them with your word, God. Give them the words to say. Father, we pray in advance, Holy Spirit, that you would go before them in those conversations, that they would be heard for what they're truly trying to say. Father, we thank you that you've called us in such a time as this. May we be a light in a dark world. May we be the salt of the earth, God. May we preserve the spiritual integrity of your world, of your word in this lost and broken world. Father, we ask that you would go with us this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And a faithful church said, Amen. God bless, family.